Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome indeed to this edition of the Inner Life. It's Tuesday of the second week of Easter. I'm Josh Raymond, and so glad to have you listening. Let me ask, when have you prepared and worked for something, and when you finally got it, when you finally achieved it, whatever you were after, once you got there, were you a little disappointed at the time when you were working toward that goal, it seemed like it would make life better or it would make you more fulfilled. It would solve whatever problems that you have. And then you finally reached that goal and you found yourself saying, huh, is, is that it? I thought there'd be more or I thought this would be better. For me, as far back as I can remember, I have always loved to run and running fast, not the long distances, not marathons or, or cross country or, you know, five or 10 Ks. I loved running fast, those short, fast sprints. And I wanted to be faster than everybody else. And when I was six years old, my family, we moved to a tiny little rural town in northern Idaho, 250 people, very, very small. And we lived on the main street in town that the highway would pass through. And on that, uh, the, the sidewalk that went down the block of our street, that was my racing lane. And when the cars would come through off of the highway and they'd pass down the main street, I would race on foot against all of those cars passing our house uh, to the end of the block. And the posted speed limit was 25 miles an hour. And at six years old, of course, you know, naively, I thought that, well, everybody follows the speed limit, right? Everybody's slowing down to exactly 25 miles an hour. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 of course, know that's not the case now. But uh, looking back, I do wonder how many drivers might have just looked over and rolled their eyes or maybe given a little chuckle to this little kid sprinting down the sidewalk trying to outrun their vehicles. And every once in a while, I'd keep pace with somebody. I'm sure they slowed down just to let me. But out at school on the playground, I would challenge anyone to a race, and I won most of the time. And when I was nine, we ended up moving to one of the larger cities in the state of Idaho. And that meant that I would eventually attend a high school that was in the top athletic division for the state. And I kept running, and I, I was in track, and, and I kept winning. I, I won a lot of races. And in high school, I qualified to go to the state track meet all four years. My freshman year, I qualified in one race, the 100-meter dash. And that year, I didn't make it past the preliminary races. Too many older upper-class men that were out there and uh, just couldn't beat them. But that set me on the path of determination to work and train so that I could win a gold medal at the state track meet. And then my sophomore year, I qualified to go again in two races, the 100 again and also the 200-meter dash. But I was still too young. I still didn't make it out of those preliminary races. Uh, the older men, the older boys, they were stronger and faster, and I didn't get to the finals. I, I wasn't able to get that gold medal yet. So my junior year, throughout the track and field season, 
it was rare that I actually wouldn't place first in every race that I ran. That year I qualified in state uh, for state in the maximum number of events that they allowed, four different events. So I went in the 100 and the 200, just like the, the year before, but two relays as well, a 4x100 and a 4x400. And I was also favored that year to win the 100-meter dash. But when I ran my very first race at the track meet, at that state track meet, the qualifying heat for the 100-meter dash, about 60 meters in, I pulled my hamstring. And the pulled muscle was severe enough that I could not run anything else for the rest of the two days of that, that track meet. So for the third year in a row, I found myself sitting in the stands watching all of the final races, all the different field events that are taking place while I'm up there feeling sorry for myself and upset that I wasn't down there on the track getting my gold medal. But that made me even more determined for the final year. After nursing my hamstring over the summer, when track and uh, the season came around that following spring, I was ready and this was going to be my year. It had to be, right? I was a senior, and so no more chances after this. I had to make this year be the one. Once again, I got to the end of the season, and I had qualified for the state track meet in the same four events as the prior year. And finally, I made it out of the prelims to the finals. Finally got to run in some final races there. And when I got down in the blocks for the 100-meter dash, and the man with the starting pistol shot the gun, and we all took off, I was running down the track as fast as I could, running against seven other sprinters, and we're all closing in on that finish line, and we crossed the finish line. It was so close, I had no idea who won. I knew I was probably up in the top two or three, and I thought somebody else had beaten me. And so we were walking back towards the finish line that we'd already passed, and I was thinking to myself, silver's okay. It's okay. That's, that's fine. It's not the gold, but it's okay. But when we came back to the finish line and there were the line judges there waiting for us, the one in my lane had this big smile. And he said, congratulations. He said, you came in first. I'd finally gotten that gold medal. I finally won. And I, I was ecstatic. I was over the moon. I was in this state of euphoria. And, you know, it, it was the best track meet I'd ever had in my life. I'd finally accomplished what I set out to do. I went home the champion of the 100-meter dash. But then over the next days, over the next weeks, it really didn't change anything for me. My life didn't seem to be any better. Unlike I thought would be the case, I didn't have every college in the western half of the U.S. knocking on my door or calling me, offering me full-ride scholarships. The mayor, the governor, the president, none of them stopped by to congratulate me. There was none of that, right? Uh, in fact, I actually found myself kind of lacking motivation to train the way that I used to. I didn't have that same goal in front of me. So what was the point of the practice or the training? That determination was gone since the goal was achieved. Now, at the Easter Vigil Mass, we received new members into the church, and those people, the catechumens and the candidates, they had a lot of activity leading up to the Easter Vigil. They were busy with all the different things that they needed to prepare them for entering the church. And it can seem like this is the culmination, this is the goal of all that preparation. You know, it's the end. Well, to a degree, it is a culmination of all the preparation, but it's also the very beginning of entering into a very rich, a very beautiful spiritual journey. There's so much more that's ahead, leading to that ultimate reward of being united with Christ in heaven at the end of this life. And so today we want to discuss how we shouldn't look at entering the church as the end of the process or just the, the final goal, but rather it's the beginning, and it's just our first step into a new community. 
So if you're listening and you're a brand new Catholic, let me welcome you into the church and say congratulations, and you have so much ahead of you. And hopefully you'll receive some encouragement this hour on on what happens now that you are in full communion with the church. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, you've been in the church for many years, all of your life maybe, we're going to talk about how you can support those people that have just been received into the church. And we're going to do that with the help of one of our regular spiritual directors. Joining us today is Father Joseph Ilo. He's the pastor at Star of the Sea Parish in San Francisco and gives retreats to Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity around the world. Father Ilo, welcome back to The Inner Life. So glad to be able to talk with you again. Thank you, Josh, and congratulations on that gold medal. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of years ago. Uh, uh, so <laughs> I, I don't run that fast anymore. Now, my kids are the ones that I get to watch run. But as I talked about, there is all of that preparation that's leading up for the, the candidates, the catechumens coming into the church at Easter. There's typically that long run of religious education. They're presented to the bishop of the diocese or the archbishop, depending on the size. Uh, there's a lot of learning. There's a lot of activity. And then Easter comes. They're received into the church. They participate in this really amazing and glorious liturgy that is the Easter Vigil Mass. They celebrate afterwards. Maybe there's some cake. You know, they, they might have had a group of people that they've gone through with. They're, they have kind of that small little community of people. And then afterwards, all that activity kind of ends and I know I've spoken with other people about this who have come into the church, and they can sometimes feel like there's not much guidance after they're received into the church. So to start out with, what would you recommend if somebody who's just come into the church, what is a good place for them to say, okay, you know, I, I now have made it into the church. How do I look at this? As I, I was saying, not at the, as the end, but the beginning of this journey. Right. That's a just a crucial question because it's not how you begin, it's how you end. And RCIA, as you say, is the beginning. Well, one of the ways that I found to really integrate people, to initiate them, not just on Easter Vigil, but for the rest of their lives into a community, is before the end of the RCIA year to have a class dedicated to the apostolate. What kind of work will you do for God after you're baptized, after you're received? And so we talk very practically about all the different ways that can be done. A lot of them are within the parish. Some are outside of the parish. For uh, married people, the most important apostolate, the most basic ministry they do is with their spouses and their children, so raising a family, building a family. But some of the practical ways that we talk about, so speaking of family, if you're married, if you have children, to pray together as a family, to attend Mass as a family, if at all possible. Sometimes it's not with little children, but to pray the rosary together several times a week, if you can, at home, to read the Bible together, to do apostolic works together as a family, and then as a parish family as well. So there's some of the things that people could get uh, be, become more integrated into the community. Is, uh, the best way, I think, is serving the poor. And uh, most parishes have some kind of outreach, like St. Vincent de Paul. We uh, feed the street people in the Skid Row here in San Francisco on Sunday afternoons. Uh, 
bring clothing and blankets to them. And we're also, we have an apostolate in Africa. One of our priests is African. We're helping him build a hospital there. So there there are lots of um, ways that uh, we can help the poor. Also, there are um, just the basic Bible studies, prayer groups. There's moms groups, Knights of Columbus, men's fellowships, other devotional groups, social events such as potlucks. Also, the parishes that have schools, and if you have your children in a school, get involved in that, and, and the parent organization, the booster club, or there's uh, catechism programs for children that need a, a hand from the parents or single people. We have a lot of young adults here in San Francisco, and so we have a pretty strong young adults group, and they, um, one of them the other day just said, hey, how about a hiking group? Um, actually, she was a bit older, and she said, well, I'm not a young adult anymore, but I love hiking, so can I start a hiking group? I said, yeah, I'll be your first member. So all those kinds of uh, things within the church and then outside of the church uh, to work with other Catholics in building a civilization of love, as John Paul called it. So within the workplace, some guys and gals offer um, like a Bible study or a prayer group, even within their places of work, if sometimes that's not possible, of course, or um, doing social services. One of my parishioners is a firefighter here in San Francisco. He's actually the head of the, he's African-American. He's the head of the Black Firefighters Association, but they do a training, a leadership training for underprivileged kids in the city every summer, and the parishes supports that. And um, so there are many ways within the parish and also within the larger body of Christ. But if I'll just say this one last thing. The, the, the foundation of this is that we are called to community. Everybody, by the fact that they're human, is wired for relationship because we're made in the image of God, who is himself a community of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So really we have no identity apart from other people. Other people reflect back to us who we are. And there have been studies, children raised without any human contact are severely autistic. They do not have any self-identity. So it's not just um, a hobby or a nice thing to do to be involved with other people in prayer and, and, and service work. It's essential to our health as a human being. And the parishes are a big part of that. I think just making that point to those who are coming into the church and also uh, long-term Catholics who maybe are pretty isolated, they come to Mass maybe, but they don't, they don't get involved in anything, to put, make that point that if, if we are not in relationship, meaningful relationship with other people, if we are not the body of Christ, we're, not, we're, we're much less human. It's, we're, we're, we're not going to be healthy and strong and holy people if we're isolated. Well, you know, and as I was reflecting on this today, a lot of this does come down to that idea of being a community of believers, um, and that's something that I've heard expressed more within the Catholic Church than I ever did before I became Catholic. As a Protestant, evangelical, there's there's a sense of community, but it's not something that I ever heard emphasized. Um, it, in your local church, the emphasis was more on your personal relationship with Jesus. 
as a Catholic, there's definitely that personal relationship that, that we talk about. We want to foster. We want to develop that. But that emphasis on being part of the community, uh, can you maybe expand on that a little bit more? You know, you talked about how we can see, you know, it, it reflects back to us. But especially this last year, there hasn't been the same opportunity for that kind of community involvement with COVID, with being, you know, so many communities that have been in a stay-at-home order, uh, you know, lockdown kind of uh, uh, set up in, in our own cities, our own, uh, you know, metropolitan areas. So how can we, especially right now, live out that idea of community? Yes, I mean, the biggest problem with the way we've managed the pandemic is isolation. And I think we overreacted, not knowing exactly what the virus was or, or how it could be managed. But now that we know a lot better, it's actual uh, mortality rates and um, th- ways of transmission and such and, and also safety protocols that work. We have a lot of data now. We can uh, do our best to get back into community life. But even in a, a lockdown situation, and I know many of those still obtain, so uh, it's just the reality that maybe the church isn't open or you can't visit people. Well, um, do what you can. So my sister, there's six of us kids, and uh, my dear sister, she's not Catholic. I mean, she left the church. She says she's atheist, so, although she's kind of religious for being an atheist. <laughs> but she's like the glue of our family. So she's she's doing these quarter, at least quarterly Zoom sessions with all the siblings and the cousins. And um, she's she's making connections community as much as she can now zoom is second best right it's it's not real person personal contact but it's um it's something we can do in difficult situations so be the one be the community builder in your family like my sister is or in your parish there are things that uh like a bible study I remember right after the pandemic, the lockdowns, and there were, we were one of the first cities, San Francisco, to go like total lockdown. And we were all thrown off our balance. And for about two months, really, we just didn't know what to do. But it just occurred to me, hey, we haven't had an RCIA meeting for six weeks, two months. And I just said, okay, it's time to get going here. Um, let's do it on Zoom. And um, the, the coordinator... She goes, yeah, you're right. I mean, I never, I've, I've felt I got to do something, but I don't, I'm kind of paralyzed. So we broke through the paralysis. We got going with the meetings again on Zoom. And um, it, it really made the best of a difficult, difficult situation. So I think find a way, find, I mean, believe that it's necessary to be in community and in relationship with others. And then you'll find a way. We're talking with Father Joseph Ilo, a priest in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and we're looking at how we can foster that community in our parishes, and especially with new people that have been received into the church here at the Easter Vigil. What have you done at your parish, parish to help develop that atmosphere of community? 
what are some ways that you've been able to make your parish a more welcoming place? And if you're a convert, what helped you to stay engaged in moving forward on your spiritual journey during that first year or two after entering the church? You can give us a call here on our studio line, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You can also email us, relevantradio.com. And we've got more coming up right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. If you're looking for a little help on your journey of faith, our priests are here for you. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. Or email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Ilo, priest in the Archdiocese of San Francisco, pastor at Star of the Sea Parish there in uh, the big bay city of San Francisco. And we're talking about how we can develop that sense, that atmosphere of community in our parishes. How have you been able to do that in your own parish? Uh, what are ways that your parish has done that may, that maybe you've experienced that has helped to make sure that you have that community there, that you have other Catholics that you're able to talk with, you're able to pray with? Uh, the, the, it's made your parish a more welcoming place. And if you're new to the church, what are some things that maybe your church has encouraged you to do? Or uh, maybe you came into the church a few years ago, and what helped you during those first couple of years to keep you engaged, to keep you moving forward on that spiritual journey? You can give us a call and share your experience, 888-914-9149. Again, that's 888-914-9149. Or you can email us, innerlife@relevantradio.com. And Father Ilo, right before the break, you were sharing about the RCIA coordinator at your parish, and as you were sharing the story of kind of, okay, you know, let's get things back on track, let's start moving forward with this, even in spite of uh, the, the shutdowns, the lockdowns because of COVID, uh, and even before that, as you were talking about some of the different possible activities, that idea of apostolate, that, you know, we, we engage in apostolic activities now that we've entered the church— a lot of what I heard from you was you calling for people to take that initiative, not just to wait and have somebody invite you to be involved in something, but that we have to take that first step on our own. That's right. That That's really when people graduate, so to speak, from RCIA, then, as you say, it's a beginning and everyone needs a focused task. And so you want to give those people especially if they're confirmed. I mean, everybody does get confirmed from RCIA. Well, what's confirmation? It's the completion of baptism for mission so that everyone who leaves the church after confirmation should have a specific work for God, an apostolate that they will pursue. And people don't normally think about that. So, it's it's up really to the uh, priests and RCI coordinators to outline that for people. So as I say, we have like um, an apostolate class, a ministry class before we uh, bring them through the vigil. Well, some of those things um, are very simple, can be very simple. So 
being a leader doesn't necessarily mean starting something, but it can just be joining something. That's taking the lead in your own life. And it's um, hard to underestimate how much support, how much leadership a person gives just by being an active member of a group, not the leader or the organizer, but a but a member. I mean, leaders without members, there's no group. So maybe the one thing that you do after you are brought into the church is just join a Bible study or start lend a helping hand uh, with cooking for a social event or cooking for the homeless. We um, cook. We join Mother Teresa's sisters at one of their soup kitchens every every other Saturday to, to uh, just cook with them. And it's like peeling potatoes and stirring vegetables in a pot and serving bowls of soup to, and then just passing out rolls to to the homeless. It's it's not very complicated, or you know, it's maybe once a month, but you start small like that. Uh, another thing that people can help out with, especially in the larger parishes, is helping keep the church clean. So um, we have a lot of candles. We're, we're like a shrine here. So we have candle racks, and there are people that just spend an hour or two a week changing out candles or cleaning altar linens, serving at the Mass or reading at the Mass, serving on parish council, finance council, building committee, Money counters. Jesus wasn't too kind to the money counters. I always make a joke about that with our money counters, but where would we be without our money counters? Uh, parish receptionists. We have volunteers that just man the phones a couple of hours a week. Another thing is uh, the prayer apostolate. Committing to one hour a week before the Blessed Sacrament is one of the most important tasks you think of the religious orders, the contemplative orders in the church that sustain the body of Christ by their silent, hidden prayer. Well, the parishes have that same apostolate. Uh, we have perpetual adoration here, and um, so there there are some people that spend one night a week, like all night, before the Blessed Sacrament. A lot of them retired, and they can do that. But that is... Uh, Imagine that apostolate. Where would we be without it? So the prayer apostolate is often, people think, well, apostolate, service, ministry, you're talking, you know, reading at Mass or feeding the homeless. Prayer. Prayer is work. And we need we need workers. We need pray, people who pray. Yeah, at our parish we have um, a number of women who actually do a shawl knitting. They, they knit blankets, they knit shawls, um, and they're given to people if they need prayer. And that person, the, the woman who has knitted that, and then it's passed on to somebody, she has no idea who's going to receive that blanket. But the idea is that when that gets passed on to that person, there have been prayers that have been said beforehand, and then that woman keeps praying for the person who is the recipient, whoever it might be, and they might never know who that is, but that that person ends up having those prayers. You know, if it's somebody who's sick in uh, you know the hospital or sick at home, somebody who's going through a tough time, whatever it might be, and again, that goes back to that idea of that prayer apostolate. Um, another thing that you brought up um, in the first segment as we were talking, Father, is for married people, men and women, if they've got, you know, a wife or a husband and kids, that's their primary apostolate. That's where most of their apostolic activity should be directed. But 
that also, you know, I, I wrestled with that for a lot of years where I said, boy, you know, I, this is my vocation, but I feel like I should be doing more. And I know I had some of the older parishioners at our church who said, it's okay. Don't worry. After your kids are grown up, you'll have the opportunity to do some of those other things. So that's another question for you there. You know, I, I think you just said, you know, start small, you know, start with something that you can, you can manage there. And is that also, uh, you know, a good point of advice for anybody who is busy in the midst of family life? It's okay. Don't worry. You'll have more opportunities down the road. Right. Uh, and frankly, we're all tempted, that is, those who are married, to escape the stresses of married life by going to the church, to use the church as an excuse for uh, avoiding <laughs> the the real difficult tasks of, of building a family and a marriage. So um, I would think that most married people, with young children especially, don't have time to do anything outside of that in the church other than come to Mass. And I wouldn't expect anybody who's married with young children to lead a Bible study or even attend one necessarily or, or work for the poor because the, they've got a lot of poor right at home, their kids. So that's the, that is the primary ministry right there. And um, no one should feel guilty or um, uneasy that I'm not serving on the parish council or doing something else for the church. If, if you raise your family, that's a full-time job, and that's the greatest glory you can give to God right there. Raising people that will continue to love and serve God um, as, as they continue on in their lives, and hopefully that just is passed down from generation to generation. Right. Yeah, a lot of parishes are run mostly, I mean, the lay work of parishes are done mostly by retired people or or people of means perhaps that um, are maybe younger but uh, single people but as I say married people with children I wouldn't expect them to to be too involved in, in outside parish activities now as we've been talking here father we kind of spent the first half of this hour really devoted to people who might be coming into the church looking for whatever that apostolic work that they might want to do, that they might be called to do. If we're the ones who have been watching new members come into the church, what might be a good way for us to support and encourage them as they begin that journey within the church? Um, what, what are what are some good practical ways that we can say, okay, you know, I've I've been busy with my family, but well, I'm I'm kind of hitting a point in my life where I have some more time opened up. I, I'm able to, uh, you know, get involved in a deeper way. Um, is it just looking for those same activities, or are there other ways that we can say, yeah, I'll help build that community atmosphere in my parish? I think for well, speaking as a priest, and so any other priests that might be listening. Uh, we have a principal role in calling people to service and inviting them, but but also the lay people. So if you're involved in your parish, you have a pretty good sense of how things work, then invite other people that you th think may have the time and the inclination to be a part of that. The Knights of Columbus are, are a good example of they're always – on membership drives, like continual membership drive. And basically that means 
they're inviting other men to be part of the fraternity. They don't wait around for them to join, but they, they, you know, after after mass, oh, uh, you look like you might be a good knight of Columbus. So, extending that dynamic out to the rest of the community, I think if you're in a Bible study, invite other people to the Bible study, or if you're uh, doing some kind of apostolate to the homeless, then invite other people. And that means staying after mass. The biggest problem, especially <laughs> not, in city parishes, not just is running out just the door bolt. to get on to lunch or whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's the parking lot melee after the Sunday masses. So we we did donuts here. That helps a little bit. And um, we try to have some activities that get people to spend a few minutes. And it's I, I got to say, during COVID, some of the people just stay after mass like for hours. <laughs> because they don't have any other community. All the other things are shut down. and so. Um, but I think the priest needs to encourage, and, 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 and brother parishioners and sister parishioners as well, uh, spend some time after Mass. I, I challenge the, like the RCI people, okay, now you're, you have gone through the nursery, the vital core of this parish where new stars are born. And now... People are looking at you, and you have a role to play. So I challenge you to say hello, to introduce yourself to one person a week after Mass. Let's say there's two or 300 people after Mass that are heading for the doors. Just position yourself and say hello. Hi, my name is Jane, and um, I just got baptized here. I'm very happy to be a Catholic. What's your name? And then that goes for all everybody else as well. Um, make the time to say hello to somebody and get to know them a little bit. Maybe, and then after after you get to know them a little bit, uh, invite them to, you know, be be judicious about it and prudent. You don't want to be pressuring people and invading their privacy. But a lot of people just want to be spoken to. Right, right. We're talking with Father Joseph Ilo, pastor at Star of the Sea Parish in San Francisco, talking about developing that atmosphere of community. How have you been able to do that at your parish? What have you done at your parish that has helped? Uh, what are ways you've been able to make your parish a more welcoming place? And if you've come into the church, what helped you to get engaged uh, after you were received at the Easter Vigil? helped you move forward on your spiritual journey during that first year or two years after entering the church? Uh, what has been that apostolic work that you've taken on that has allowed you to continue to serve others, continue to live your faith? Uh, you can give us a call and share your experience, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Email innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. More to come right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio.
Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond along with Father Joseph Ilo, a priest in the Archdiocese of San Francisco. And again, you've ho- you heard the phone number there. If you've had something in your parish that has helped develop that atmosphere of community, what is it? What, what does your parish do or what have you been involved in? that has helped uh, bring that community atmosphere into your parish, uh, make your parish a more welcoming place. And you can give us a call at the studio, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. want to say thanks to Nick Schmitz and to Jim Shaper running everything behind the scenes here. Also want to encourage you, if you've missed part of the conversation earlier, you can always go back and listen to the entire program at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app where you can download the podcast. And Father Ilo, as we're talking about, um, you know, some of the different opportunities in our parishes, um, you've talked about a lot of different things that exist at your parish, and I'm sure a lot of other people are listening saying, yeah, I I know of some of the different activities, some of the different groups, um, you know, maybe Bible studies or different uh, outreach mission activities at our parish, but... If we want to start a new parish group, how do we go about that? And again, acknowledging there are all kinds of different resources out there. We don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel. Um, if we're unaware, it might be a good just a starting point that we can go ahead and say, well, is there anything like this at my parish? But if there isn't something, uh, what what are some good first steps on looking at starting a group if there's an area that isn't served in the parish? Well, the first thing is to talk to the pastor. And some pastors are more open to initiatives than others. But all pastors would like specific information. So it's best if you go to the pastor to have a proposal written out. Uh, well, So who's responsible? What days would you meet? What kind of people would be do? What, what exactly would you be doing? What resources would you need? What rooms will you need? what publicity, etc. If that doesn't work very well, as I say, some pastors are a bit overwhelmed or it's just not in their nature. Some are more cautious than others. Then you could just start one on your own, that is, meet in a home. Say you wanted to start um, an apologetics group or study of the encyclicals of John Paul II or a book club or something. You could just start it in your home or, um, and then if it takes off, then they can go to the pastor and say, this group's been going for six months. So I wonder if we could use a room in the parish premises if that's what you want to do. So um, we have young adult, a lot of young adults here uh, just because of the demographic. And they do a lot of stuff on their own. They organize hikes and study groups. And I didn't even know they were feeding the poor. And then I found out about that a couple of weeks ago. And I'm great. You know, they've been doing that for about a, a year now. So, um, and parents in schools will, will often do that. They're they're pretty uh, have a lot of initiative. So, it's best to go through the pastor if if he's going to be a willing player. If not, don't let that stop you. Well, in my experience, has been with some of the people I know that have started uh, you know some different groups or programs at our parish is. Typically, the, the the pastor has been open to it, but he just says, sure, go ahead, but you, you have to do all the work. You have to be the one to take it on, and, uh, and, and you know, we'll, we'll give you the, the meeting room. We'll give you, you know, the ability to promote it, you know, after mastering the announcements or that sort of thing, but um, it's really all on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Most pastors would be of that 
uh, mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing that I thought about, we've been talking about that idea of community. And this past Sunday, we just heard that reading from the Acts of the Apostles, that first reading at Mass, where all the Christians, uh, it seems like this kind of idyllic setting where everybody is together. Uh, I think it says they are, were all of one mind and one heart. They shared all of their possessions in common. And, you know, while some of us are called to that vocation of religious life, uh, and they might still live out that ideal of sharing things, being part of that that religious community, um, for married couples, I'd like to go to back to that for a second. For families, how can they grow in their sense of community outside of just their own family unit if they've got the small kids? What are some good ways that they might be able to step forward and say, okay, you know, if if my kids don't attend a Catholic church there, you know, that's associated with the parish, and we feel like we're kind of an island out here all by ourselves as a family, we want to get to know other families. Uh, what's a good place to start there? That's, it's a beautiful reading that you mentioned that from last Sunday. It was the golden age of the church, but lasted about you know a couple of years. <laughs> and then reality hit back again, reality of original sin. So if you don't have that um, perfect community, don't despair. Everything is a work in progress. How can families develop that who aren't uh, close to a parish geographically or, or otherwise? Well, I think... Um, you learn from other families. So first you start with your own family and make sure that you're having community within your own. A lot of a lot of um, spouses don't pray together. Devout spouses don't just don't think about it. So we have to develop that. We have to work on that family rosary, family Bible time, uh, and then bringing the kids in as much as possible. But then there's almost always families nearby within striking distance that have the same ideals and interests or some you know shared interests. So make the effort to find who they are. You can do that through the internet to some degree. The parish itself, and if you if you're at mass and you see another family kind of like your own, kind of dressed like you are or same age kids, uh, make make the effort to uh, explore that. Now, a lot of a lot of times it won't work. You can't give up and say, oh, I tried to make friends with this family and they weren't interested. It didn't work out. They were busy. You just keep on, keep at it. Because I'm a firm believer in the, what's called the Benedict Option. Uh, Rod Dreher, maybe you've heard of some of your, our listeners are familiar with his book called the Benedict Option, meaning in a de-Christianized society, in a more secular society, Christians need to form supportive communities, not ghettos where they're not engaged with the rest of the world, not withdrawal, but supportive communities so they will have the energy and the um, kind of the intelligence, the social understanding to be eleven in the culture, to, to evangelize. We need that place of support. So... Even, I say, isolated individuals cannot do this, cannot be a functional Christian, but also families. If you're just kind of ghettoizing your family, like we're just going to keep to ourselves, that really, we can't evangelize on that level. We can evangelize our own family, but it, it won't go beyond that. And we are called to 
bring the gospel to all nations, to everyone. So we, we need to make strategic alliances. And I'll also mention the power of consecration with other, uh, with like the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, the, the guardian angels. I've found that to be very fruitful in my life and in my parish life to lead our community, first do it myself and then lead our my people to consecrate themselves to Our Lady, to St. Joseph, to the guardian angels, because we're, we're entering into a deeper community then, not just with the church on earth, but with the church in heaven. We, we forget that we have to be in communion with all the three branches of the church, church on earth, church in purgatory, church in heaven. So um, consecrate yourself. We're doing the consecration to the guardian angels at the moment, and we'll, we'll all make that as a parish at the end of the year. But these are strategic alliances or covenants with other people beyond the veil of this, world, this earth. So both those living and those in heaven, living on earth and those living in heaven, we, we make friendships with those and uh, we work with these people to glorify God. Our spiritual director today on The Inner Life is Father Joseph Ilo, a priest in the Archdiocese of San Francisco. And Father, uh, let's go to the phones. We've got Donna, who's listening in Huntington Beach, California. Hi, Donna. We'll get back to her in just a second here. Um, let's see. We also have... Is it Lois? Okay, Lois that's in uh, Salt Lake City. Hi, Lois. Welcome to The Inner Life today. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I enjoyed listening to uh, Father's comments about uh, reaching out to the new uh, baptized in the Catholic Church. Uh, I had an experience that taught me a valuable lesson. Uh, I was involved in several ministries in our parish and uh, went into uh, one of my duties and a lady came up to me, one that I knew had been recently baptized. And uh, I think we don't recognize the 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 people who are being baptized are really on fire. We have maybe gotten a little stale in our attitudes at times, but uh, she came up to me and asked me how she could get involved in some activity in the church. And I said, uh, asked her what she was interested in, and she said, I said, why, why do you ask, uh, you know, how you can do it? If you're interested in something, uh, talk to someone in the parish. But it, it's, I've never had anyone ask me how to get involved. And so I asked her how the, how, why the question, and she said, well, in, uh, in our church, which was the LDS church she came from, she said, we are called. And uh, it just struck me because I, I knew that in the back of my mind, but I had never applied it. They patiently and, and humbly wait until an authority in the church calls them and tells them that they've observed them and they think that they would be good in a certain ministry. 
and they pretty much can't refuse. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, Lois. Uh, I think the LDS, they're really a missionary church, and God bless them for the... So every, as you know, every young LDS person does two years of mission, and um, that's why they're waiting. We don't really have that same culture in the Catholic Church, so it is good to wait to be called, but there's a balance, too. I think we don't expect that, and it's usually not forthcoming, so sometimes we just have to take the initiative (laughs) and not wait. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for the call, Lois, and... uh yeah, that that is something that I think in our different parishes, um, taking that initiative, we kind of talked about that earlier in the hour, but um, it, it does make it to where you have to want to get involved. But uh, depending on the parish, I know at our parish there will be different opportunities throughout the year, and that might be the thing where you're anxious for something right now. What can I get involved in right now? But you won't hear about something maybe for three, four, five, six months, and then they'll have, you know, maybe a table or a couple tables out in the back in the narthex or a gathering area or wherever it might be with information on a certain group, a certain activity, a certain ministry in the parish. And then you can go ahead and get involved that way. Um, but if if we're being a little impatient right now, Father, uh, then we have to really make those strides on our own to, to get involved. That's right. Yep. And so we're down to just the last couple of minutes here, Father. And as uh, we wrap up the hour here, uh, what are some different ways that you can maybe recommend to people if uh, they're looking and saying, okay, you know, I, I am at that point where I want to get involved. My parish doesn't have much going on here. Um, you know, we've been talking primarily parish uh, ministries, parish apostolates. But there are also a number of just lay organizations and lay apostolates. Could you, maybe you recommend a few that people might look into if they want to get involved and they don't have the opportunity at their parish? There, something called Legatus, for example, is a group of uh, Catholic businessmen. Uh, so if you're a business person, that's a, that's a good place to get together. Legatus is, so legatus, it's um, from the Latin word um, like legate or um, ambassador. But there are many other groups like that for um, different professions. So the the legal profession has the Thomas More Society and the uh, Catholic Health Care Association or, or Catholic. There are, there are groups for nurses, doctors, um, different kinds of other professions. So try to find a, a, a group that is Catholic and uh, brings people of your same interest and profession together. And a little search on the Internet would help with that. All right. Father Joseph Ilo, our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life. And Father, we've got about 10 seconds for a final blessing here. May the blessing of Almighty God be with you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He is risen. Alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia. Thank you so much, Father Joseph Ilo. 
in the Archdiocese of San Francisco. I want to encourage you to stay with us. We have Mass that is coming up next. Father Rocky is the celebrant, and we'll look forward to seeing you back here on The Inner Life tomorrow, where we'll talk about being a bold witness for Christ.